You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Good evening. All right, uh, turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. And while you're turning there, I wanted to share a little story with you recently. Uh, mostly due to my being a police officer now, I decided to pick up running again rediscovered my passion for it and I have a friend at work that wants to start running after work and he messaged me this morning he said hey any chance we could run tonight after work he's like tonight would probably be the only night we could run I was like well I'm preaching so I can't and he said well you can always preach on patience and show up late <laughs> I was like yeah I don't, I don't think that's gonna be a good idea so um, I just had to share that with you because it was too good to not um, My message tonight is going to be a new victory. God is the God of a second chance. No matter how bad we fail him, no matter what we do in our walk with him, he wants to give us another victory. He wants to give us a victory. You might be at the lowest point in the valley right now. You might not see the outcome of of what's going to happen, but man, he just, he wants to give us another victory. So... I want to take a moment and bring us to the scene of what's about to happen in the text today in in Joshua chapter 8. In Joshua chapter 6, and I believe I preached on this uh, December 29th here, uh, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. If you remember, it was one of the things that God had told Israel not to take from Jericho, where because of God they were victorious. They walked into an impossible situation, and God gave them victory. And there were spoils there that people desired, but God said it was not to be taken. And Achan couldn't resist it. He took it. In Joshua 7, we see that because of Achan's greed and selfishness, God's anger was kindled towards all of Israel, not just him and his family, but all of Israel. And they, coming off of a victory, moved into the next battle, which is where we are today in in Joshua chapter 8. But they moved into the city of Ai and had a lot of confidence in themselves now, a lot of pride in themselves, and they failed miserably. We'll cover a little bit more about that later, but I want to have you just imagine with me for a moment being a believer in Jesus Christ. I think for most of us we can say we know what that is because we are. We can understand. We we understand our current relationship with him. We know what it's like to be in fellowship with him. We are thankful for him, and we are blessed because of him. You're saved. You have been blessed by God and taken out of your bondage. You are made new and brought out of the world and heading to promises God has laid for you. He's laid out many promises for you. He has a place he wants you to be, a destination that is just unbelievable. It's too good to be true. Major trials are in sight and test your faith in God who saved you from death. You see it on the horizon. Jesus comes alongside you with a sword in hand, prepared for battle and says, be not afraid, I am with you. You will be victorious today. You walk up to a trial and he says, I've got you. He's got a sword in hand ready to fight, tooth and nail, until the entire enemy force, the spiritual warfare you're about to encounter is just obliterated in front of you. 
He's ready for that battle. That's exactly what happened at Jericho. Joshua walked up, saw a man with a sword in his hand, and the angel of the Lord, and that was Jesus. And he said, I'm right here. I'm, I'm ready to fight this battle. Are you, are you with me? Are you, do you trust me? Because I've got a plan that's not, not something that you're going to expect here. You put your faith in God again, and he sees you through the impossible situation in front of you. The one that seemed insurmountable, the walls were impenetrable, and there's no way you were going to make it through it. Your courage and faith is now built up because he gave you victory. Then you see something you feel you deserve, something God said is off limits. You take and hide it. You might not think that that's you, but I think there's times in our walk where we do things we know we're not supposed to do. We take and we hide that thing that God said we shouldn't have or we shouldn't see or we shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be thinking. There's something there he said we can't have. And that's not because he doesn't love us, but it's because he loves us that he's protecting us from those things. He said, I don't want you to have that. It's cursed. It's, it's terrible. And you're not going to be happy because of it, no matter what you think. So you take it and hide it. Now you continue along, and yes, another trial comes in your path. And that's if anybody's been saved, you know, saved for long knows that trials come and go. Along your path, there will be trials. He'll give you victory, give you some reprieve, some time to rest and, and just praise him. And then you start your journey again, and Satan has another stumbling block he wants to throw your way. And, and you, you're, you're angry and sad and, and scared, and then God reminds you, I'm, I'm with you. Trust me, I've got this. We will win this. But we've taken this thing, we've hit it, and we continue along, and there's a trial in our path you just had a major victory and you have all the confidence in the world, but your confidence is now shifted away from God. You're, you've gotten complacent and you start to think that maybe you had something to do with it because Satan has a good way of twisting the truth around. You're relying on yourself now. You walk eagerly into the battle only to find out that you alone are no match for that trial. There's no way you were going to do it alone. If God wasn't there fighting that battle, you were hopeless. You had nothing to bring to the first battle, nothing to bring to the second battle. God was there with you and, and fought the battle with you and gave you the victory. You run away afraid, cowering away from the, the trial that defeated you. You had your own plans, but I want to tell you today that yes, during, during those moments when you fail, you stumble, when you're hurting, when, when you're doing the wrong things, you are in that valley, and it's hopeless, and it's scary, and, and you don't know what to do. I want to tell you that whenever the Lord is on your side in the battle, and you follow his plan, there is a very sure victory. Amen. It is a victory that is, is guaranteed. There is nothing, nothing that can defeat God. He has already conquered. He has already won against the world. So anything Satan has to throw is pointless unless we go in with our own plan unless we go in with our own confidence we go in with our own beliefs and our own things that we want to bring to the table thinking we have all the strength and the power and the knowledge and the experience we need to do it alone we go into it because we've seen victory in it before and now we have confidence some for some reason in our own abilities rather than praising God for what he's going to do yeah. we go in basically like an ant against a giant it's impossible 
But when God is involved, when we're in right standing with God, if you remember back at the story of Achan and, and the family, they took care of the sin that needed to be taken care of. God's anger was not kindled against Israel anymore. God is the God of second chances. They are now in right standing with God. We have the opportunity to repent at the altar at any moment, at any time, even in our car, our bed, our whatever, immediately when we do something, say, Lord, I, I know this is wrong. I'm sorry. I, I want to get back. I want to be with you again. How, help me get rid of this, whatever it is that just happened. I don't, I don't want this. I want you because I want to be victorious. I want to conquer. I want to be surrounded with peace and, and love and, and, and your grace and your mercy. I don't want to go in and be defeated. I don't think any of us like to go in and be defeated, which is why half the time we fail to rely on him when the trial comes our way. The Israelites, when, when they came up to the Jordan, could have easily said we're defeated and turned around. Matter of fact, they wanted to. But when they put their faith in the one they knew was going to be able to conquer and bring them through it all two million plus through that river on dry ground, they trusted God. We need to trust him. You can trust in who is fighting alongside you who told you, I am with you, you will be victorious. That's what this message today is all about, a new victory, a second chance. So please stand with me as we read our scripture verse for today, Joshua 8, verse 18, if you'd put that on the screen for me. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward I, for I will give it into thine hand, and Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He didn't, he didn't do anything, but immediately, because God said, I'll give you victory, he did what God said to do. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy for us to believe that there is no chance for a second chance with you. There's, there's no reason to come back to you because Satan wants us to believe that you're not as loving as you say you are. You're not as forgiving as you say you are. They, Satan wants us to doubt your mercy and your grace and your power and your strength and, and the fact that you have already conquered and that there's victory, Lord. But I know, just speaking personally, Lord, that there are, there are low points in our lives where we struggle and we forget that you're right there and you want to you bring us victory. Lord, I pray that you make our hearts sensitive today to your, your power and to your plan, Lord. And I pray that we can cling to you in whatever stage we're in in our walk and whatever trial we might be facing today. And just give it over to you and, and help us to be the victorious warriors that you want us to be, Lord. Spiritually, you want us to be victorious conquerors in this world against Satan's dominions and his powers, Lord. Give us the victory today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Psalm 5.8 says, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. 
I think it's a good idea to, to ask him to give you a straight and narrow path. But not only that, to be able to see what's coming, to have some clear guidance on what direction to be, because there is enemies. There are enemies that want to pull us onto a different path. There are enemies that want to put things in our way to make us stumble. But when we have him on our side, who has already laid the path and knows exactly where we need to go, he could cut down anything that's in our way and help us to walk a clear and straight path. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Help me to see, Lord, where you want me to be, where you want me to step and where you want me to go. We need to pray for God's leading and his guidance in the face of our enemies. Clarity of his path is necessary for us to see clearly where we need to go. If we don't seek him and ask him where we're going, then, then are we just wandering in the wilderness aimlessly? Or are we actually pursuing something he wants for us? Satan wants to cloud our, cloud our way. He wants to distort our vision. He wants to make it as unclear as possible and seem as hopeless as possible. But the Lord will give us direction if we ask. Today we read of a new victory for God's people. And the, the first point I have is I emptied. The city of I emptied. When the morning came, the king of Ai saw the army of Israel positioned before the city, ready to attack. Confident of victory, this king led his men out of the city and against the Jews. Matthew Henry said, they are the most in danger who are least aware of it. Joshua and his men began to flee, and this gave the men of Ai even more assurance of victory. If you remember the first battle, when they went in, while sin was still in Israel, they rushed the city of Ai with only two or 3,000 men and were overcome because there were 20,000 adversaries there, and they were chased off. So that's the, the exact same thing they decided to do here. They approached the city... The, the victory was already given to the city previously, so they started to flee, giving the, the king even more confidence in the victory here. Look at verse 14. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, that they hasted and rose up early, and the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people at a time appointed before the plain, but he wished not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. Now according to verse 17, the men of Bethel were also involved in the attack, but there aren't a lot of details given outside of what we just read as far as their involvement or why they were there. But whether they were already there or arrived on the scene just in time, we aren't told, but their participation led to the defeat of their city in chapter 12 as well as this defeat here. It was careless of the people of Ai to leave their city undefended, but such are the follies of self-confidence. And I think... We can scoff at the, the king here and, and poor planning 
But when we have our own confidence, when we are overcome with our own abilities that we can conquer something and we let our guard down, walk outside of the confines of where God has placed us in, in his safety, then what's going to happen? If Satan's clever like Joshua is here, who is one of the best warriors in the Bible, in my opinion, then Satan will use that opportunity to lure us out with our own self-confidence and take over the city. That is not something I, w- I want to do for myself or my family. So I think there's, there's some caution we should have there for ourselves. When a small army sees a large army, army flee without even fighting, it gives them a feeling of superiority that can lead to defeat. Satan can use our overconfidence, our self-reliance, to leave ourselves and our homes open for attack. We need to protect our home. Now, yes, there's physical walls that are good to maintain and and keep our home up to the standards that need to be there. We don't want it to decay and fall apart around us. But I think, spiritually speaking, there are walls that we can put up and protection we can have with God, relying on him on a daily basis and praying with our family and and helping them to understand that it's important to rely on God and, and know that he's already conquered the enemies and our kids have trials and there's things that, that we're going to face and we can give them examples. The book of Joshua gives us a lot of points where they put up monuments and we're going to see one here in, in a little bit. They put up monuments as reminders for their kids to say, why is this here? And then we show them, okay, this is what God did for me. This was a major battle in my life, and God gave me victory. And when they see that, then they put their trust in him because of the stories of the past and how God was victorious. And when we praise God in front of our kids, when we love God in front of our kids, when we rely on God in front of our kids and our friends and our coworkers, they see it. They learn from it. They know us who are his disciples by our love for one another and they know us when we openly praise him and serve him they did not have confidence in the power of God in that city because they defeated them already they, they thought this city or this, this nation that tried to conquer us before that had just beat Jericho the impenetrable city failed in front of us and their God isn't really what they said he was see our, our lack of reliance on him can tarnish God's name if you think okay well I don't use God's name in vain that right there is using his God's name in vain or our God's name in vain when we diminish who God is to other people that's, that's using his name in vain and that's a terrible thing it's not just saying his name when it shouldn't be used and in a way that's cursing him or, you know, as, as just, a, just a flippant word, but it's our actions too. He can use our overconfidence, our self-reliance, and, and use that to get into our homes. Now let's look at I captured. Joshua knew that the battle was not his, but it was God's battle. See, if he thought it was his battle, if his plans were going to be the one that would would win it, then it would have been another loss. But this time around, he chose to not rely on his his counsel and and the people 
in, in his strategies like he did the very first time in not seeking God, but this time he, he sought God and asked the plan and did exactly what God told him to do. First Samuel 1747, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, he will give you into our hands. Second Chronicles 2015, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Conscious that the battle was the Lord's, Joshua waited for further instructions. It was not his to win. It was God's. God then told him to lift up his spear toward the city. We saw that in verse 18. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward I, for I will give it un into thine hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. This was the signal for the other troops to enter the city and burn it, but the signal had to be given at just the right time. The men of Ai and Bethel were trapped, and it was a simple matter for the army of Israel to destroy them. They were completely surrounded now. Look at verse 19 and 20. The ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered into the city and took it, and hasted and set the, the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people that fled to the wilderness turned back upon the pursuers. Joshua held up his spear until the victory was won. God just wanted him to hold that spear up. And God took care of the rest. <laughs> Move down to verse 26. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. This is an action that reminds us of the battle Joshua fought against Amalek when Moses held up his hands to the Lord in Exodus. Very similar situation. I think it's wise to learn from our elders how they relied on God and the actions they took to do exactly what God said and when to do it. And now here Joshua is being told to do this thing and he has no doubt in his mind, this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it just like he had Moses do it. Why would I doubt him? And you know what he did? He meditated on it day and night. Back in Joshua 1, verse 8, he meditated on the word day and night. To be a good leader in a home or a good leader in a job or a good leader in, in, in a church or any position you're in, if you're in the word constantly and relying on him and meditating on it, that is a very good thing to do. When you put God first, when you use his guidance, when you seek him in every single thing you do, he will bless you as a leader and, and give you victories like these. And you'll, you'll react right away because you know exactly what it says. If you read the Old Testament, it's amazing what you discover. The stories you read and find out happen in the Old Testament that you've read maybe many times and just read past and overlooked. But when you see what's really happening and the power behind it, and the examples he gives you of his victory when you follow him and, and the defeat when you don't, 
then that's just another reminder for you to say, well, if he can do it for Abraham, if he can do it for Moses, if he can do it for David, if he can do it for Joshua, if he can do it, so on and so on, and he promised to do it for us, then isn't he faithful, and won't he just give me the victory when he says he will? And the other thing is, is we look at these battles that we're facing, these trials that that we're facing, these sins that we're trapped by, the bondage that we're stuck in, and we look at it as hopeless, and it's our fight, and we say, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I just cannot win over this. I just cannot do it. It's not our battle. It's his battle. We're relying on ourselves and failing to remember that it's his battle. He is sword in hand, Jesus, standing there ready to fight the battle for us, and we're striving to fight on our own. When he tells us he'll do it. Let's look at eyes, army, and people destroyed. This is an adversary. It's an obstacle they have to overcome as a people. Or if we were to put ourselves in this situation, it's an obstacle. The next step we have to take to that promise, but it's a battle we have to fight to get there. That Jesus has to fight for us to get there. Seeing the smoke of the city, Joshua's men stopped fleeing, and they turned and attacked the army of Ai that was pursuing them. Look at verse 21. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of Ai. After the Jewish soldiers in Ai left the city, they joined in the battle. The enemy was then caught between two massive armies. Verse 22, and the other issued out of the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they smote them so that they let none of them remain or escape. Once the army was annihilated, the rest of the population of the city was destroyed just like Jericho. Each one of these cities could very easily be different sins in our life. God does not want one remnant of that sin left in our life. He doesn't want it. This is the promised land. This is the area that was promised to them and a gift to them that was fertile and such a massive blessing. And if they let the sin remain there, then that would be a problem later. And what we do find out in the book of Joshua is that does happen. There's some trickery involved and, and things that happen where they end up in a treaty with a a nation that they shouldn't have been, which again led to another massive victory on Israel's part, but that sin still remained. And and Joshua, in the very end of the book, says, Choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, I serve the Lord. We have to make a conscious decision. And and unfortunately, in in this, this area, there was some sin that remained and some false gods and stuff. But each city was required to be destroyed completely. That sin needed to be gone. Look at verse 24. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, wherein they chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that All that fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, even all of the men of Ai. 
See what they did in Jericho? In, in Joshua 6.21, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. And Joshua 6.24, And they burnt the city with fire, all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. We need to keep in mind here that this was not the slaughter of an innocent people, but the judgment of God on an evil society that had long resisted, resisted his grace and his truth. There is a timeline given, and I, and I think I mentioned this last time I preached here, but not only did they have 400 years of preparation to turn around and get things right with God, but they had another 40 years when all of Israel, who had spied out and, and decided not to enter in, they had another 40 years to turn things around. And then all of this time that they were being attacked in, in this land, they could have turned around and, and sought God, but they keep choosing not to, and that's why they're being destroyed. God was not being unmerciful here, but he was removing and judging righteously these evil societies. So let's look at Ai's king slain in, in Joshua 8.23. And the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And then jump down to verse 29. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the, entire, or at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remaineth unto this day. This was the final symbolic gesture of complete victory on the part of Israel. The king had no army. He had no subjects or a city, for the Lord had destroyed all of it. It was total victory on the part of God's people. Joshua killed the king with a sword and then ordered that the corpse be humiliated by hanging it on a tree until sundown. And you might ask, why in the world would they do that? But in Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, it tells us exactly why. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is a cursed, or is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance. Isn't it interesting how they worded it that way? He had an inheritance for them a plan for them, and unless you want that to be cursed, you will take him down at sundown and bury him. So that's what they did. The body was then buried under a heap of stones at the entrance of the gate of the ruin that had once been the city of Ai. The previous heap of stones that Israel had raised was a memorial to Achan, who had caused their defeat at the very city of Ai. Another reminder to say this is something we will not do kids say why is this here well this is what he did and, and what happened because of it I think it's also wise to tell our children when we fail it's easy to get some pride and, and want to show that we're perfect all the time but guess what we fail all the time and I love sharing that with them because it helps them to see I am real and it helps them to see what God does every single day with it. 
when I go back to God and I show him how I failed, and I go back to God and plead for his help again. Kids don't want a perfect parent. They want a real one. They want one that understands them. And guess what? Jesus did the exact same thing for us. He came down. He humiliated and humbled himself and went through this world as horrible as it was, suffered unimaginable suffering on every single level, spiritual temptation to physical torture. So there was not one way that we could say God doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's real. And as a parent, and especially as a father, it's our responsibility to be an illustration of who God is in our home. And if we pretend we've got it all together and we're perfect, we're not doing, we're not doing our job. So we show them examples like this pile of stones here saying, here was how we failed. And then this pile of stones right next to it, here's how God took care of that and how he gave us victory over it. Two piles right there at that city. By obeying the word of the Lord, they had organized victory out of mistakes. He's a God of second chances. Let's look at I's spoils claimed. This is a lesson to be learned. Remember, if Achan had waited for God to provide for him instead of taking what he thought he should have in Jericho, there were spoils in the city of Ai for him. The very next city, there were spoils he probably couldn't even imagine waiting for him. Because he did not wait and acted on his desires, he and his family paid the ultimate price. Look at verse 27. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord which he commanded Joshua. The Lord said, you can take from here. See, he's not a, a God that says you can't have. In the Garden of Eden, he said, you have all this. Just don't touch that one tree. Here, they te he tested the patience of Israel and said, you can't have anything here. But they know there's a promise of good in this land. They know that there was something good here. And if they had waited just a moment and gone to the next city, Achan and his family would have been blessed to see what there was for him. And instead, we rush ahead and we, we try to take what shouldn't be taken and in hopes that we'll get something out of it. Since the first fruits of the spoils of war in Canaan had already been given to God at Jericho, he permitted the army to claim those spoils at Ai. You see, at Jericho, the victory was theirs because of a miracle of God, while at Ai, because the men actually had to fight here, they earned their reward. There were laws governing the distribution of spoils, and you can see this in Numbers 31, 19 through 54. I'm not going to read that today, because sometimes reading law is kind of boring, <laughs> but it's really interesting read, so Numbers 31, 19 through 54, if you want to look at this for context on why they were not allowed to take out of Jericho and why they were allowed to take out of the city of Ai, it says it very plainly there for you. At the end of the day, when the men buried the king of Ai under a heap of stones, there must have been a new sense of faith and courage in Israel. For they had won another victory. 
They just came from a major failure. Humility in front of all the nations. Their God's name was now lowered. And they probably, it probably took a lot for them to say, I'm going to go back and try again. It takes a lot for us to want to get back up and try again. Sometimes, unfortunately, we just let that failure be it and we're done. We'd rather stay where we're at instead of continue on to the next blessing. Remember, Israel recently failed because they trusted in their own strength and abilities. Their hearts melt as they fled from the, the inhabitants of Ai, but now they had victory again. The people saw that not one word of God's promise had failed now. Not one word of God's promise failed them. The disgrace and defeat caused by Achan had now been erased, and Israel was well on her way to conquering the promised land. The disgrace and defeat caused by Achan had now been completely erased. When we fail or deal with pain, there can be an overwhelming sense of defeat. It can cripple us. But even though there are valleys on our walk with God, there are also mountaintops God will lead us to. It's hard to see the big picture when you're in the valley. But when you get to the mountaintop and you see the view from there and you see what God has intended for you further down the line, man, is it exciting. We will stand on that mountain and feel the sense of peace again. How many, of, how, how many people here have actually stood on a mountain? A handful. Even a small hill like at Chad's house, we... we my family went over there last night, and we hiked up this little hill. I mean, it was probably only, I don't know how tall it was, but it didn't matter. You could see it pretty long ways, and it was pretty beautiful up there. But I've, I've stood on top of 20,000-foot mountains before and seen much grander view of things. And to see the landscape and the beauty of it, it's just amazing. And I love the illustration of the valley and the mountains because that's where I grew up. Because when you're in the middle of it, you, the sun seems to set a lot faster. It gets dark a lot faster, which is, I think, a pr pretty clear indication of how we feel sometimes. It's hard to see where we're going. It feels like nothing but darkness is surrounding us. But when we, we fight a little battle and we hike up a hill that God has intended us to go up and then we see the big picture again, there's nothing else like it. <laughs> it's, it's a sense of victory and, and, and peace and, and just... You can't help but praise God when you're on top of that mountain. When you're in the valley, all you see are walls around you, but when you're on top of the mountain, you can now see more clearly everything that's around you. You get a better sense of God's plan and his strength and his mercy. We need to pray for a new victory today. You know, fortunately for you guys, I don't know every single one of your struggles the valleys that you might be in, but there is someone here among us that knows every single detail of what you're going through. Amen. Two or more are gathered. The Bible says he's with us. Right. And that's one thing I, I never take for granted. I love being here because I get to experience his presence at a whole nother level. And I know he understands me, and I know he's willing to hear and he is willing to take sword in hand and fight a battle with me and give me a victory, give you, each and every one of you, a victory that you may see as insurmountable, you may see as impossible, but guess what? He is the God of the impossible. 
and he can fight any battle you any battle that is before you because he's already conquered it every single one of the battles that they they were victorious in the very beginning of that battle god said it's already won he didn't say if you do this and this and this then you'll win later he said you've already won now go do it that should give us a lot of confidence and courage so I'm going to open the altar now, and if you want to come and and give God your surrender, I would say. Just say, Lord, I'm going to let go of this. I'm not going to pretend I have what it takes to overcome this, but Lord, it's all yours. All you have to do is be willing to surrender, have faith in his ability and his power, And know that he wants to give you another victory. He wants to give you a new victory. He wants to give you that that boost of confidence again and and remembrance of who he is and his power and his blessings and mercy. Because, man, he wants to pour it down on you daily. So let's let's come now. If, If, Dan, you could play a little something. Take a moment and, and speak to God today.